0: Hey pole dancer, welcome to the evidence-based pole podcast. My name is Rosie Boa, I'm a pole dancer, pole teacher, and personal trainer, and I've started this podcast so that we can learn together, talk with the experts, read the research, and feel better on and off the pole. So if that sounds like something you're interested in doing, let's go. Welcome to uh, an episode that I'm very excited about. This is one that like when I was starting the podcast, I was like brainstorming like dream guests. Uh, (laughs) Emily was definitely one of them. Uh, Also, y'all who are are my students may have seen this on my bookshelf when I teach, or also I've referenced it in class sometimes. Her book, Eh? Applied Anatomy of Aerial Arts, reference it all the time. Uh, I did some workshops with Emily when I was in Seattle. Uh, Oh, Oh, (laughs) too. Twins! Um, and I reference those notes all the time, so, um, Emily is a huge resource to the community. I would say you're probably a little bit more focused on circus than pole, but a lot of what you talk about is very relevant to pole dancers as well, um, and certainly has been like very instrumental in my teaching and my understanding of anatomy and, you know, inversion shoulder stuff, all that stuff that that we have in in concept con common is the word I was looking for. and also you're a researcher in addition to, you know, being an educator and a clinician. Um, so I'd like for you to just like talk about yourself a little bit and some of the things that you do just to kick it off and, you know, for people who haven't heard of you, you may, you may know of you as the circus doc, perhaps, um, yeah, talk a little bit about what your whole deal is and then we'll dive in in a little more depth. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Hi.
1: Thank you so much for having me on. Um, Yeah. Let me talk a little bit about my background and how I got here because I think that makes things make more sense. I myself was a circus artist professionally for a couple of years prior to going back to school, which is why things do tend to be more focused on circus than pole. It's because I physically have done more of it with my body, but I love my pole dancers. Pole dancers are awesome. Um, And you guys are just killing it so um yes love pole as as you said i am a clinician so i have a practice based in seattle washington where i see circus artists and i have other circus medicine practitioners that work with me and we just have a practice full of awesome humans doing awesome things with their bodies um i am also an educator so i wrote that applied anatomy of aerial arts book um and i teach online courses because i and i teach with um american circus educators um, because i really think getting knowledge about how the body works out into the world of the people that are actually doing it with their bodies is just so amazing and important and so i've been doing that for uh i think i first taught a teaching education course for instructors in like 2011 2012 so i cannot believe it but it's been well over a decade um, and then I also teach teaching education for clinicians because I want our um, circus bodied athletes of all types, shapes, sizes, colors, stuff, things, all the stuff to be able to get the care that they need. And that's responsible care that has an understanding for our sport and our athletic needs of our bodies. And then, because I'm a nerd, like most of you guys, hey, nerds, hey, nerds, um, I do research for fun. Um, so I do partner with um, with folks who work at generally in universities and get IRBs. One of them is another clinician in my practice here with me. She's also a professor at a um, physical therapy school here in Seattle, and we partner on a bunch of research as well. So I do a little bit of everything. I've got like my fingers into all the aspects of um, everything circus bodies, pole bodies, um, and I'm really excited to talk about some of them and share that excitement, knowledge, and nerdiness with you today.
0: Yeah, uh, me as well. Um, well, to have it shared with me, um, and everyone listening. So let's let's start with research because I think that's the you know. I mean, they're all they're all big cans of worms, but I feel like that's one that's like particularly you know, relevant to the podcast, and also and also folks. Um... So I know you've worked on you know a lot of different studies and longitudinal studies and stuff like that, um, but I think probably what would be most helpful for folks who are just coming into this is um, a to get a little bit of an introduction to the lens that uh, circus arts tends to be researched through, because um, certainly in you know in my own reading and trying to keep up with the literature, um, many times it is from an injury standpoint and like you know that sort of. I'm not saying that people are saying that like circus is a problem and pathologizing circus, but like that is uh, the lens through which a lot of the research is done. Um, and then also maybe talk a little bit about normative studies and like what is n- normal, quote, healthy, quote, um, and then any other sort of general lenses uh, or ways of thinking about researching circus that uh, you think are particularly relevant.
1: So researching circus is. From the biomechanical, musculoskeletal side of things, really stinking new, which I'm sure you know. However, from the cultural aspect of like circus research or or, um, the sociological side of circus research, it's actually a much older field. So there's actually a huge amount of research that has gone into... What is, what is circus? What is the theater of circus? All of that is much actually quite, uh, quite a bit older, uh, which is really interesting. And then from the musculoskeletal side, we're really trying to build that base or have been over the last few years, just trying to understand what the heck we should be studying, right? So that's where a lot of the, the injury data that you're seeing is coming from is, well, before we dive deep into, like, well, for example... Whole, right everyone always is like oh my shoulders hurt or i string my hamstring or before we dive into that is that actually what we're seeing let's figure that out first before we dive deep into x y or z which is why you see a lot of the injury stuff and that's be- because mainly our field is really quite new um there is a little bit going on on the psychological side there's a little bit going on on the um on the nutrition side um as Recreational circuses recreational pole has grown exponentially. I mean, just in the last decade, right? Like mind blowing. I, I think um, I, you know, I was looking looking around the internet, it just like it. Just as the internet has made these things normal, in that people can find them in their communities. I think that the internet really has done that. Um, it's just grown so fast. So it's it's funny. I'm realizing as I'm saying these words, how old I'm going to sound. So I'm just gonna say it, but I you know, I, I remember the start of the internet, right? Like, um, and, and when we think about, like I think about a phone, I don't think I had a cell phone really until grad school. I didn't have a smartphone until I realized I was like missing friends plans after I was like a practicing PT for a couple of years, right? And now we have these computers where we watch things constantly um, and as that has grown we've just grown exponentially so it really has happened in the last decade and a lot of us have come to um, circus and pole arts as adults um, and so we're starting to catch people as they're starting to go through grad school and they're starting to come out of grad school when they're in that prime research time when we can get a master's thesis or a doctoral thesis or um or honors papers or things like that where you can start kind of pushing other fields to do research on the things that we love and that's why we're kind of seeing this boom like ever since like 2019 especially with the pandemic as papers started to get published it used to be the only place really having funding and interest in the research would have been Cirque Soleil where their dollars are on the line we need to keep these performers performing and now it's not necessarily about the dollars. We may get a little bit more of like the, but this is interesting type research because we have people, the actual practitioners that are interested in doing it, doing the research. So I'm seeing a lot more very broad um, lenses, as you said, of of research and avenues. Um, there are, my personal research has jumped a little bit all over the place because I'm, I'm also, um, so if you don't know about research, uh, especially when you're researching humans, you need to get, approval from a, a review board. And that process is really gate-capped. There's a lot of financial barriers in the process of research. <clears throat> Some of it is very warranted. We wanna make sure our, our subjects are safe and all of that. Um, but it costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to do research um, because, on humans because of this review board process. So you can't just be like, oh, I wanna study this and study it. Um, so because of that, me as, a cl- as primarily a clinician, not affiliated directly with the university, though I do work with a bunch of them, um, but not affiliated directly, uh, I am kind of somewhat at the whims of the people I I work with. So right now I'm in the process of writing up a study on um, pelvic floor dysfunction based on a survey we did um, last year. Yeah, that's right. And we presented it at a conference already, but we're actually getting to the nitty gritty and writing the paper up. Um, And then I'm doing um a study also on this is like secret nobody knows about it yet but um we're in the process of developing a protocol for a uh, shoulder um return to sport some return to sport testing some normalized values for, for some of us um so yeah so things are kind of a little bit all over the place some of it's like what my what my friends and colleagues want to research some of it's what i want to look at um, normative values in our population are few and far between we're getting more and more of them it's one of the things you're asking about to come back around. Um, there is a study on the shoulders of acrobats versus aerialists, or those that do both, that has some narrative data on the shoulder that's been published. And that was somebody's um, uh, clinical doctorate thesis. Uh, so that's uh, um, the Huberman study from 2019, maybe? Sounds Somewhere right in there. Um, But that's that's Carly Huberman's uh, work from when she was doing her doctoral research. And then we have some other normative values from conference presentations. And then I think you've already interviewed Stephanie Greenspan. If not, Mm -hmm. go back and check out that episode if you haven't listened to it yet. Um, But uh, her study, which was at many sites across the U.S., which I was thrilled to be one of the clinicians on for her um we did an intake of all of those folks and she's going to start publishing those normative values uh, starting really soon so that paper i believe has already been written so hopefully coming out in the next couple months here. year process to get into a journal and get it reviewed and, and getting all the way through is also it takes a while to get from inception to actual publication um so that's a very long answer to, to lenses the The reason you see a lot of injury data is because that's where you kind of need to find where the problems are usually before you want to go diving down the holes. Because there's, again, that more interest kind of coming up. We're seeing uh, things on nutrition now, on psychology. on a little bit more of the, the, the cultural qualitative studies of what does circus, what does actually pole, pulls a big one. What is the community aspect of pole? Um, how does pole um, feed my soul, feed my community, help me stay engaged with moving, moving my body? Um, there's actually been quite a bit on that. There's at least two or three studies I can think up. So uh, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting a larger field of researchers and we're getting a larger breadth and depth of knowledge as well, which is fun.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, Well, it's also something that you brought up in there that I think is really relevant for the differences in what we're seeing between folks who are looking at circus broadly defined and just pole. Um, And of course, some of the circus broadly defined include pole dance in the way that I would think of it, but also things like Chinese pole that are similar. Um, And that is, I mean, to be frank, research is not free, as you have mentioned. i don't know of any like big nsf grants that are like we have to protect our strategic resource of circus artists
1: uh, the NSF, fact, there is no checkbox for circus on I mean, when you're doing even performing arts grants there's no it's other oh. hmm.
0: um for those of you
1: outside of the us or dancing to dance or theater um and that is true who was i just talking to i was just talking to um, folks from New Zealand. They don't have a checkbox for Circus either. I was talking to them earlier this week.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's still it's still kind of an, a niche thing. Um, so there's not a lot of government funding for it unless it's like it's kind of through another avenue. Um, and uh, like obviously in Circus you have, you know, Cirque du Soleil. They make money and spend money and want to keep their athletes happy. But if, can you imagine like... Um, those bastions of labor rights, uh, strip clubs, funding research to promote the longevity of their independent contractors that they're chewing through uh, and exploiting. I can't. <laughs> uh, listen, I got, I got some feelings about labor <laughs> rights issues in, in stripping. Um, but you don't have that same, like, centralized, um, you know, institution organization that really has and invested in it.
1: And this is also why men's sports, if you just think about sports have so much more research on them than women's sports. It's just because there's money. Yep. It, it it's 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 more interesting. It's more involved. There's probably, I don't know this to be true, but I'm just thinking about I'm like, I bet you there's almost more information about like returning just to, to like baseball than returning to working in a factory. Like I would I'm curious. Like mm-hmm. those are both gonna be financial interests, but like which ones actually studied more even though that'd be fun I thought fun little review study to
0: even do. Yeah. yeah i think it would be <laughs> but, it, but
1: it's true it's like it costs money to do the irb mm-hmm. and then it's like again i do research for fun i don't get paid to do research i just like doing it um this is these are my hobbies <laughs> uh so it, it is it's time consuming it takes months years etc partially because a lot of us are doing it part-time and
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah but oh man wouldn't that be great <laughs> if we could get our workers to all <laughs> <laughs> of
0: yes uh that would be great but i think as a result like i don't know that i've ever read you know research outside of sort of like the feminism gender studies cultural studies sphere on strippers specifically um and like specifically you know if you are a stripper what sort of body issues might you have you know what sort of advice would be helpful for clinicians and i just don't know of anything and it may be out there and if it is please send it to me i want to read it so badly. <laughs> like um, i don't think i've seen it either yeah um and i
1: wonder i really do wonder because because it's not the same like mm-hmm. being a uh even a professional performer as a as a pole dancer in stupe or um your competitive pole dancer is different than being a stripper and it's like but if we're just calling it the same thing it's different when it's your day-to-day grind it's your work yeah versus i perform you know one night a week, or I'm teaching most of the time, or you know. So I don't. I'm sure there's something, but I can't think. Of, I certainly can't think of any injury studies off the top of my head, which is mostly
0: what my brain is full of. Oh, uh, yeah. If anyone <laughs> listening knows of of more research, I would I would love to hear it. But I think that it does sort of highlight one of the struggles so you know the title of the podcast is the evidence-based podcast and i had someone like reach out to me recently after an episode i think it was the episode with ginger who was talking about um work that she's currently working on and she was like well the standards for evidence-based are double blind you know randomized control trials and i was like yes i get that uh th- we the amount of evidence that we have is the amount of evidence that we have. The amount of research that we have is the total amount of research that we have. We are not baseball. <laughs> we are not like dripping in studies, right? Like, I don't know of any motor learning studies on pole specifically, even though I would love to see that, right? Um, I don't, honestly, I don't think I know of any motor learning studies on circus, maybe some stuff on tumbling. I think like where it overlaps with gymnastics, maybe a little bit there, but um, you know. We we make do with what we have, uh, and you know, do continue to work and build our body of knowledge. But um, yeah, and I think because no. it's so new, people who are just coming to it don't realize how new it is. Mm-hmm. Like
1: it's it's also just really new. There there hasn't been a large enough group to successfully study <clears throat> until a couple years ago in the grand scheme of things. So like you need numbers to be able to do something like a randomized controlled study. You need a lot of humans um and so to get enough humans in a controlled enough environment to do that probably wouldn't have even been um a thing until until recently so we're getting there guys we're trying
0: yes <laughs> uh but i think it's it's helpful to have that perspective of like what is there actually here and it's a lot right like it's certainly more it's than it is there's been a lot more work done but it's not uh each each is paper it, is valuable. <laughs> we are not. Each paper is <laughs> valuable. In There's something. Them. It is
1: every paper. Every researcher is pushing it forward one way or another. Um, and the more time we have dedicated to it, the more we can duplicate that research. The more we know it's actually things versus. But the thing, the thing I want everyone to remember. I know this is an evidence-based poll podcast. But the thing I want you to actually remember is your daily science that you're doing with your body and your training is your most valuable resource like just because it hasn't been confirmed with the study doesn't mean it's not true 90 percent of the time especially this phase of research that we're talking about with what we're doing right now what we're trying to do is confirm what we see in the studio like that's where we are we're confirming what we see in the studio and seeing if it balances out to try to move things forward so the research you're doing Every day when you're training or every day when you're teaching is still research. And um, I urge you to not discount that and also document it for yourself because you can learn so much from your daily training habits.
0: Absolutely. Keep a keep a poll notebook. I'm a I'm a big fan of that. Yes, uh, so absolutely that comes to mind for me uh is nerve glides and like nerve mobilizations as part of flexibility training which the last time i looked i couldn't find anything on it specifically as part of flexibility training there is work on it as like a rehabilitative you know thing that you can do to help somebody recovering from injury or with sciatica or stuff like that and it does seem to be effective for that but in my own experience and like working with students you know, we're just doing like a little pre-test post-test doing 10 on each leg, yeah, we can notice a difference. Um, so if you have, you know, evidence that you have gathered in the course of your, your teaching or, uh, you know, movement, don't necessarily discount it. Uh, if you are a teacher, maybe check in that it's working for everybody in, you know, a different variety of bodies, because that's also certainly an important factor. Uh, but yeah. And I also yeah, you do science on yourself.
1: I mean, you can do science with a group. Yes. <laughs> um, but those are those are different different groups, different different ecosystems. human bodies
0: widely variable? Yes, yes i I think that a lot of folks who do not have or haven't spent a lot of time, particularly as an adult, sort of like learning about anatomy are um, sort of under the impression that bodies are a lot more like each other than they necessarily are. So even things like, you know, brain lateralization for language. Yeah, there's a general trend, but like the right brain, left brain thing is generally a thing for most people, but it is not like that across the board. Right. And I think that that's the thing that people assume is just true of everybody. Or um, what is it like the the lat doesn't actually attach to the shoulder blade. And like what, twenty five percent of people?
1: That's what I was gonna say, yeah, I'm like, so the, like that's like my favorite one because it's so relevant to circus. I think it's in my book somewhere. But the latissimus dorsi are big lats. Um, muscularly, in most in most people, don't attach at all. Don't don't attach. It's just it's through like a tendinous uh, fascial attachment, um and in It's something like 25, 30 percent of people. There is no attachment at all. Um, in the rest of them, it's usually a fascial attachment uh, and not necessarily even a, must- a, a, a um, contractile tissue attachment. So it's like, yeah, does your lat attach there? It doesn't right? Like that is highly relevant to how
0: your shoulder might move or not move. Yeah, absolutely. And it's going to vary in the population. So uh, It may vary in your class of 10 people, right? Like that's, yeah. So Mm -hmm. I think that is a nice place to segue into, I'm trying to say this in a way where it makes sense to other people, not just in my brain. Um, So when I, you know, because my background is more in social science, so I'm used to thinking at a population level. But when you get into a clinical study, Uh, setting everything is at an individual level right so um if you've if you i don't know if you read medical research um a lot of times you'll have like case studies that's like this one person has this one thing going on and you're like oh there's just one person and then you look it up and it's like this thing has been diagnosed in 10 people ever in the history of western medicine this is a large chunk of the total people who have this thing going on um so when we get into that more like Individualized, you know, really thinking about a specific patient. um, What are some of the things that you see where, like, hey, this general advice that works for some people or most people doesn't work for, you know, a a range of people specifically, or general advice that might work for like the population as a whole that's just not applicable to people who are doing circus or pole?
1: Let's start kind of what we were just talking about normative values. Mm -hmm. Because what does the word normative mean, right? It just means average. There's nothing about a body that is training, sadly, as an American, you know, three, four times a week uh, at end range with strength. Like, that's not normal. Our normal is sedentary. Our normal is, um, you know, is an average human of average size, height, whatever, um, not normal in our world (laughs) our world is different so um one of the biggest things i i have is the challenge of undoing some of that common common wisdom right did you know that having being able to sit on the floor with your legs out in front of you straight which means you have 90 degrees of hip flexion with your knee straight is not normal Right, like that's not normal so if you unfortunately sometimes it's not about the the patient in this case i'm talking about the clinicians but there are some clinicians out there who will say well you already have enough mobility so i don't know what to do with you or you already have enough mobility because you're sitting that's like that's too much don't go there it's like well no i need to to do my things that are safe and normal and so it's it's knowing what normal is uh for that individual so on the bigger population scale like i think it's it's a um understanding knowledge having empowering the artistic population to be like okay no i need to seek care somewhere else and educating the clinician population of what our norms are Um, and then on the individual it's what's that individual's normal Mm -hmm. right So if i have a contortionist and and she's like well i'm just not bending as well as i normally do i may even still look at her even as me and be like you're bending just fine right but if it's not normal for that person it's not meeting their goals that's where it's really um interesting in the clinic where we have to work together and problem solve and be like okay what is actually the limiting factor here for you you know is it um you know if it wasn't like in to say somebody who's really rigid is it bony shape is it is it how your muscles are firing around that joint is it um is it the tissue itself that's sticky or stiff and why is it because there's um weakness and lack of control and then i i always personify the muscles i'm like now the muscles are scared because they don't they're not in control nobody likes to feel out of control i'm in a grip right and like that's why you're not moving or is it like your bone is just like this and there's nowhere for it to go um i will say there's. that is less common than your muscles are not feeling safe secure strong uh, and able enough to go into whatever range of motion you want you want to do um (laughs) i don't know if i answered any of your questions but other things you were asking um or things that don't apply to the population um shoulders back and down i mean (laughs) That doesn't really apply to anybody uh what i find is shoulders back and down knees not going over to it's the same thing for everybody it's it's this generalization and telephone that's been played with cues that aren't evil they just got simplified so far beyond recognition um that they're not necessarily helpful so um like the cue, shoulders back and down, right? That came from like, we don't want people coming around the world like this, right? Like sitting with their phones, doing like, so you should bring your shoulders back and down. It's like, yeah, but no one should actually be here. this is not where we want people either, right? So um, it's it's not saying you should actually bring your shoulders back and down. Shoulders are really complex mm-hmm. ecosystems of them themselves. Um, they're basically bones and joints swimming in a sea of muscle. Um, and we get, a million different choices of where we can put them um and if you have any sort of neurodivergence or hypermobility uh good luck finding where that middle swimmy section is um so so but shoulders basically should be swimming in kind of the middle they should be swimming in that muscle and kind of sitting supported on all angles but not one thing so if you say to you a mover who's an achiever who can get that movement pattern done and learn it and like tick i learned that skill. shoulders back and down they will bring their shoulders back down right? but this is not where our shoulders are supposed to be especially yeah. when we're trying to do crazy things like bring our arms up overhead then you end up with little t-rex arms <laughs> uh so yeah so there's there's those things that especially um have con- kind of gotten watered down in the fitness world. Um, that that I think are 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 simplistic and don't apply to our population or really to the general population. Um, and understanding where they come from helps you understand how to use that cue effectively, um, even if it's not the best one. Coming up with your own version of it.
0: Yeah, I uh, two thoughts there. So one is that you know. As you mentioned specifically, you know, hypermobile, neurodivergent folks, it is much easier to be like, I'm going to go to my end range and that's where I need to be than it is to be like, I need to find a position in the middle of my range and then be stable there, right? It's, um, you know. I mean, it's true for everybody, but it's yes. even
1: harder yes. if you have a lower sense of proprioception or ability to know where that. that of body is in the space.
0: Uh, I'm trying to think of an example. It's much easier to like touch an object than it is to take your hand away from you exactly eight inches. Right? Like yes. one of these things is just easier on a, you know, controlling your body level. Um, and then the other yeah, thing is okay. like, this is much easier. Bang my shoulder
1: into my ear mm-hmm. is up. Right. Versus, you know, raise it. Yeah. How much? Yeah.
0: Find just a what you spot. Said.
1: Find a uh, I Find the greatest width across your front and back body.
0: The other cue that I take on with and see constantly is setting up for a push-up with your hands right underneath your shoulders if you're going for a chest push-up. If you have broad shoulders and a narrow carrying angle, yes that may feel good, but if you have narrow shoulders and a broad carrying angle, uh, it's just not a very strong position and tends to be a little bit grumpy on the elbows and i cannot tell you how many students i have worked with who like i'm like just out a little bit right there yes and they're like i can do it i'm so much stronger it's like you were always this strong you were given a bad positioning right because then it comes down to the individual level right it's not just uh, it's not
1: what works for everybody it's what works for the body in front of you um how how are things set up to help them succeed and that can even be Length of torso and leg length, right? So when you're talking about like something that works for an instructor that may not work for the students, if an instructor is a newer instructor um, and mainly used to working with their own body, sometimes it's hard to be like, wait, your center of mass is in a different spot than me. Wider hips, narrower hips, broader shoulders, narrower shoulders, all of that will, you know, fat distribution, um, length of leg, length of arm, (laughs) it all matters
0: absolutely it absolutely all matters yeah, actually i actually have an have an episode on that and i have abnormally short arms so like for me the opening my arms part of an invert easy peasy <laughs> not a problem uh but you know other things like say tucking under the bar in a trapeze that no nope. <laughs> there's no room for me it doesn't fit um yeah so like pros and cons right but uh Right. There is an
1: awesome aerial instructor here in Seattle um, named Laurel Hillary, Keel who has uh, a T-Rex, a trapeze T-Rex T-shirt, which is.
0: I also got that one when she did oh, the yeah. bonfire. Yeah, uh, yes, I think we we have similarly very short arms. Um, but yeah, and I like as a fitness instructor, I get I get it right. Like I'm working with a group of 20 people. Like I don't have time to go around the room and be like, you here, you here, um, but. I mean, my, my stance has always been like, okay, this positioning is based on like this specific thing that we're looking for. And I would rather teach you what the thing is and how to figure it out on your own body than I would just tell you put here or there, um, even though it does take more class time. And for some people, they're gonna be like, it's a waste of time, just tell me where to put my stuff. And those people uh, are not gonna be my students and that's okay. And it's harder as an
1: instructor. That's what I get to do all day long, right, is make it individualized. Um, But that's not necessarily what you always get to do because there may or may not be time for that. But, you know, that's why, yeah, that's why we have different jobs. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Specializations. Uh, Yeah, so folks may have heard the word. What is it? And who should you talk to about it? Because I think I've actually... Uh, I think the last time we worked together in person, because I've since moved out of state, um, it was because I was like, something's not right with the shoulder, and I think this will eventually become an issue. And so I came in, and uh, it hasn't been an issue since. I've been doing my homework. Um, but how how do you know, right? Like. I do it a lot, and also I'm an instructor, and also think about this constantly. So for me, like I have like a checklist that I do on my inside, but it's not necessarily going to be the same as somebody else's checklist. So how do you know that it's time to think about prehab for something specifically beyond just generalized conditioning that you need to do to support your body doing hard stuff?
1: Okay, I'm going to tell you my ideal, perfect world. Everyone has access to support-specific care. It is uh, within their budget, and we're all happy elves skipping through the forest, or whatever you want to be. Um, my perfect world is when you start a new activity, you get to go see a movement specialist, Um I think physical therapists are personally great. Um, But um, yeah, you get to see somebody who's going to understand that new activity that you're getting into, the demands of it, and can help you understand what your conditioning goals should be. It doesn't mean you'd necessarily be establishing a long-term relationship with them. It's just a, hey, if you're going to start hanging from your arms, um, let's see what your range of motion is. Let's see where your strength is, um, and have a conversation about kind of what level you should be starting at and how you should condition. Okay. And that might be something that most, that many coaches might be somewhat comfortable doing, um, on the smaller scale, but in my perfect world. Yeah. I'd love to see everybody a week before. Yeah. I'd love to see because everybody also plans in advance. I do not. So like, whatever, but everyone plans in advance and everything's amazing. Um, everything runs smoothly in the world. Uh, it's great really taking a lot of license here (laughs) um but yeah like a month six weeks before you uh start a new activity i'm like i want to do a thing oh tomorrow there's a class tomorrow i'm gonna do the thing tomorrow whatever uh but yeah like we kind of have an assessment we like get you set and you're gonna be like in the best position ever start the thing it's gonna be awesome that's not how real life works in real life uh i think there's a couple different things uh if you're and he's like that's what I mm, have i don't love the word i don't know what i want the word to be uh but i don't love the word and maybe by the end of the conversation you and i can come up with something even better um but times that you wouldn't so there's mm, times to seek care when you're not hurting um or to seek knowledge not even necessarily care but Maybe, maybe also care, knowledge. Well, if you're plateauing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? If you're plateauing, uh, you're not able to gain skills. You don't feel like you're increasing range of motion, your flexibility. Things just aren't going well. Maybe not badly. Mm-hmm. You're not losing things, but things are plateauing. That's a great time to see care. You know, that's a am I missing a component of something that should be going on here? That could be musculoskeletal where physical therapy could be great. That could be nutrition. Maybe you need to get more protein, you know, uh, or, uh, maybe it's like, you need to plan snacks differently. Um, maybe it's a strength issue. Maybe it's a mobility issue. Maybe it's a mobility issue based on strength. Maybe it's, uh, finding a, even just a different instructor who says it differently. like, But like a plateau, not like a plateau where you're like, oh, I'm making gains and things are changing and eventually, I'll, but like, you're like, things are just not changing. That's usually a good indication that something else should change. Uh, maybe your training schedule, maybe, but something's time to look at things and that may be a physical therapist. Um, another time is i'm just not feeling right you're in your bodies every day if something changes it's better to see someone then um and that may or may not be pain if we're talking pain pain that does not resolve in a week or two is another good time to see someone um or you know big bu- big boom big fall like, <laughs> like, there are other reasons um but like yeah what what do i prehab implies that there's going to be a rehab and i'm like i don't love i don't know maybe that's yeah. why i don't like it
0: there's no destiny of injury that is thrust upon everyone yeah and and the other thing is we're not we can't
1: actually prevent injury which i know doesn't sell what i just said very well um what we can do is make it less likely to happen we can prepare our bodies better for the random stuff life throws at us um whether that's a slippery floor or you know if we um if we are training our bodies in a well-rounded way it's going to be more resilient and more, more robust however sometimes your brain just forgets to put your hand there you know sometimes the floor is slick sometimes uh, the it's colder than your thought you're sleepier than you thought you a really cute dog runs across the room at the same time as you're trying to do something and your your brain goes oh shame thing right like injuries are going to happen but we can make them less impactful we can make them um easier to recover from we can ideally uh make them maybe smaller. You know, we can't we can't control everything in our lives, but we we can support what we want
0: to do. Yeah, definitely. Uh I mean maybe you, you can control everything, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no I can't. That would be uh I don't think I'd want to. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's like uh, I don't want that responsibility. Like in car inspection, I guess. <laughs> like, Even if nothing's wrong, you want to go in and check it out every so often, right? Right. And yeah, maybe... and that, that's my
1: ideal world. And I know it's not necessarily possible for everyone for a multitude of reasons. But mm. um, but yeah, I'd say also catching things earlier than later. If mm. if you realize you're starting to eliminate skills that you don't train anymore, mm. you're like, oh, I'm not really injured. I just can't do... This skill. I can't do a, you know, a grip anymore, or a um, twisted grip anymore. Like, well, but you could do it before. What, what change? Instead of eliminating something and then seeing your world shrink, 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 and then you're like, oh, my God, I can't train anymore, and that's when you go get help. It's going to be an easier and faster progression if you're like, I don't really love doing twisted grip. How do I fix that? Or you know, my hamstring doesn't really want to let me do front
0: split anymore yeah Yeah. i think this is a place where i know we mentioned journaling already but journaling can be really helpful like every time i go to practice poll i write down what i did and also just like generally how i'm feeling um and i sort of aim for like about a third of my practice time should feel great about a third should be like it happened about a third should be like i'm frustrated but like if the i'm frustrated is like showing up a lot that's something's up and I would definitely you know talk to a PT talk to a coach um if you're just sort of like doing random stuff off the internet maybe <laughs> maybe work with someone who can help you build a more structured curriculum so that you're you're making the goals you're looking for and you know help you assess like hey is this trick right for me um should I be working at this given you know my command of the the movement parts that make it up so yeah
1: I'm always like you're more frustrated than not first check in, am I sleeping? Right? Like, am I sleeping? Am I eating? Like, am I sleeping? Am I eating? Did I change my training schedule? Or, you know, I, I've had a, a few people in the last couple of weeks, like Halloween shows, mm-hmm. crisis in the Middle East, lots of things going on. Like, Whatever it is, their stress levels have increased, right? And they haven't changed their training load, but they're like, oh my god, my hip hurts. Oh my god, my this hurts. And it's like okay let's talk about how your load has increased whether or not your actual hours in the studio have increased you know so there's things you know do you have a family member who's sick Mm -hmm. is your pet ill like all of those things look into all of that um one of the things i actually have and i can get you guys a link to it is i have um like a it's paper maybe someday i'll get it together create a digital version but i have a training log thing that's that asks those questions. Like it's like on a scale of zero to ten, how tired are you? On a scale of zero to ten, how sore are you? Um, what tricks did you train today? How did you feel afterwards? So it's this like a quick check in for yourself kind of thing. Um, I can make sure you have a link.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm uh, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Uh and <laughs> folks in my uh conditioning club, you also know you I, I give you a journal, uh and you can print it out or not as you please, but just like track what you're doing, track how you're feeling. And even on days you're not training, right? Like Um, are you consistently not doing well on your rest days? That's another thing that I'm like, "Mm, something's up, (laughs) something, something needs to change in what you're doing with your life and your, your circus or pull. Absolutely. Uh, so I want to make sure we don't go over, because I know you are very busy, uh, but I do have here in my notes uh, Circus Smart <laughs> uh, written down. Uh, what, what is Circus Smart? Well, Circus Smart is just kind of the way
1: uh, I like to think about the world. So Circus Smart is is taking the knowledge that's out in there and applying it to your training. Um and I'm, oh, wait, am I? Yeah, yeah. Hey.
0: For those of you just listening, uh, I'm going uh, up and uh, the shirt says train circus smart.
1: All right. Um, so it's, it's kind of my, uh, my overarching mission is to make sure that we're, we're, we're training in a really um, mindful way. Whatever that means at the level you're at, and the investment into that knowledge that you feel like it, you want to dive in. Not everyone wants to read the research. Not everyone wants to listen to us babble on about the research. Um, but there are those of us out here doing it so that hopefully some of it trickles down to every single person who's practicing, um, so that every single person doesn't have to do it, because that's not what we're all into, right? <laughs> like it's just not, we don't all have to have the same interest. Even though we all love pole, even though we all love circus, we don't have to approach it the same way. But if we can continue to change and move the conversation forward, we we all do it with more intelligence.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Build that—you know, it's not really an institution, but build the the knowledge and the norms in the field around, you know what evidence we have and drawing together everyone's wisdom and knowing uh to help folks yeah and and again like evidence i'm putting evidence because again (laughs) you'll evidence is in air quotes right
1: because a lot of it is studio-based um practical evidence of how bodies are actually working right we have been teaching circus a lot longer than we've been studying it um and our instructors are huge reservoirs of knowledge um and that shouldn't be discounted. And maybe we just change some of the word, like maybe the knowledge is absolutely right and we change some of the vocabulary on how we talk about it. Or maybe um, we change the order of class to improve the way the brain works, you know? Like there's there are things here and there that are, are being added to by researchers, but also every single instructor um, and uh, and person who is having influence for sure.
0: Uh, speaking of people having influence, is there anything you'd like to plug? I know we already mentioned <laughs> uh, your book, Applied Anatomy of Aerial Arts. <clears throat> uh, there we go. Uh, which again, I recommend. I have a copy. I reference it constantly. If you care, I recommend. If you're not an anatomy nerd, don't don't, don't buy something uh, just because I told you to, and then be like, oh, it's just anatomy. <laughs>
1: It's a nerdy, nerdy anatomy book. It is definitely more textbook than like fun reading, but the pictures are super pretty. pretty uh, the illustrator was spectacular. That I had the pleasure of working with. Um, if you are an anatomy super nerd uh, and you want to learn more, yeah, if you're, oh, like, if you're looking the yeah, whole relevant um, one, <laughs>
0: there we go. Uh, that is on a climb from page ninety-six. There right, we go. go. We got the little inversion, inversion. Yeah, thing, absolutely. Right? So. Um,
1: I just randomly opened to that too, so it's great. Um, but yeah, so but if you are a huge anatomy nerd um and you want to dive in a little bit deeper, but don't have a big anatomy background, I do have a basic anatomy course. Um it does primarily um it's focused primarily on aerial, primarily uh, uh circus sided of things, but it will teach you anatomy at least in a way that is more fun. Um it's kind of the companion course. To the book. Um, so if you are more of a visual audio type learner, um, that is available um, through my website as well. Um, so that's Complete Aerial Anatomy, you can Google it. Um, the Circus staff, Complete Aerial Anatomy. <laughs> uh, but that's probably a great place to start. Um, If you are looking for a healthcare clinician in your neighborhood, again, you can head to my website and maybe we'll make sure that link is directly available, but I have a link to clinicians who have taken some of my continuing education courses um, so that you can find someone who speaks your language and understands a little bit about you and your body, hopefully in your community. If you know somebody who's not on that list, please, please, please uh, either reach out for them or uh, let them know that they can get their name. Added to that list so we can increase access to uh, poll specific care for everyone.
0: Absolutely some uh, some good things to do and I'll uh, I'll put the links to that in the show notes as well. So um, and I like I said, I know you're busy. I' won't respect your time. Uh, it's been a great conversation. I could definitely keep checking, but we should probably wrap it up. Um, any we can always do it again. Absolutely. part two, I'm definitely down. Um, so any last words you want to leave poll dancers with? To, to take with them out into the world. Uh, I think
1: uh, I love the themes that we kind of ended up circling around today. That you know each individual is a researcher in their own body. I want to empower you to to own that and to to really have that experiential journey uh, with this amazing tool that you have. Um, and I also encourage you to. To seek care when your body doesn't feel right. If you are that researcher in your body, you're going to be much more observant when things don't feel good. And I want to keep you guys polling for a long, long time. Uh, so anything we can do to increase access and increase your longevity is is going to be huge. So go out there and train smart.
0: I think great words of wisdom and uh yeah uh, what what Emily said all right thanks so much for joining today uh thanks so much to everyone for listening I hope you found this as you know enjoyable informative as I did I'm sure you did um and I will see you next time Bye. bye Thanks so much for joining me today, pole dancer. This podcast is a production of Slink Through Strength, the inclusive, evidence-based online pole studio. So if you're looking for a place to train, either off pole conditioning and flexibility or learning pole tricks and refining your pole movement, uh, you can find us online at slinkthroughstrength.com.